Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again today about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I want to talk about an issue today that uh, I think is problematic in the American church and particularly in the American church in this early 21st century. I want to talk about the problem of Christian celebrities. Putting those two words together, Christian celebrity, seems to me like an oxymoron. These words should probably never go together in a sentence. They, they cause us to emulate the worldly pattern of venerating Christian leaders. And quite frankly, this whole idea of Christian celebrity is producing sectarianism and tribalism and denominational strife and church conflicts. And our, our culture has codified this behavior by turning it into a social media question. Who do you follow? <laughs> My friends, I think we've imported this worldly behavior into our communities to our detriment. Christian celebrity. Now, you might, might think, well, uh, this is really a new problem. No. It's really not. In fact, it's a problem that's as old as the Bible. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, addressed this issue many years ago. And while I don't preach a lot on the podcast, I'm going to preach just a little bit today from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul describes the problem of Christian celebrity and talks about the kind of people who fall prey to this problem, and then also the kind of problems Christian celebrity causes in the church today. And then he also gives us some suggestions of how to better relate to influential, well-known, popular Christians without turning them into Christian celebrities. So here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. This is an interesting beginning. Paul says, I'm writing you as baby Christians. Oh, you're babies in Christ, all right, but you're not acting like spiritual people. You're acting like people of the flesh. And then he continues. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? Now, this is some sarcastic language to be sure, almost demeaning language. But it's certainly clear language. Paul says, look, some of you believers are acting like baby Christians. In fact, you're acting like you're not really even Christians. You're behaving like the world behaves. This kind of childish behavior means that I need to talk to you in very plain terms. I'm going to give you milk, not solid food. 
just so you'll take it in and hopefully be changed by it. You know, childish behavior is frustrating. When we see it in secular context, think how much more it is when we see it in spiritual context. Childish behavior is like prolonged adolescence. It's like a young man playing video games in the basement or a young woman perpetually window shopping at the mall. You want to say to these young adults, look, it's time to grow up. It's time to put the game console down and stop the browsing and get a job. It's time to grow up. Well, that same kind of thought is how Paul begins this passage of Scripture. He says, it's, it's immaturity that I'm seeing in you, and, and it's time to grow up. And then he goes on to describe how they were acting, which caused him to label their behavior immature. Verse 4, Paul writes, For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another I belong to Apollos. Are you not acting like mere humans? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. Now we're going to talk about that last verse in just a minute, but let's back it up to verses 4 and the first part of verse 5. Paul said, you're acting like baby Christians. In fact, You're acting so immature, I wonder sometimes if you're not still worldly people. And because of that, I'm going to have to talk to you in very plain terms, put it out there for you like a little bit of milk because you can't even take in meat. So let me be real direct here. Here's the problem. You are choosing sides and following people rather than the Lord. Some of you are saying, I belong to Paul and others I belong to Apollos. You are choosing to follow people rather than follow the Lord. Now, this is, my friends, a sign of spiritual immaturity. When your greatest allegiance is to some other Christian leader and you find yourself defining yourself by their identity rather than your identity in relationship to the Lord. Now, this is strong language, and it leads to some serious problems. Back up to verse 3. Paul says, There is envy among you, and there is strife among you. And then, dropping on down, he then goes on to say, Some say, I belong to Paul, and I belong to Apollos. There's factionalism among you. Whew. Does this sound like today? It does to me. Two big problems emerging out of people following Christian celebrities. The first one is envy leading to strife meaning that you see someone, you envy them for who they are and the position they have, and you make the decision to try to tear them down 
because of your envy of who they are or what they've accomplished. This is so frustrating to me that I hear people that are followers of Jesus attacking some Christian leaders, tearing them down because they envy them. They want what they have. They're frustrated that they are more popular than maybe some other people have become. And they are, in their envy, tearing people down. And then the the other problem mentioned this problem of veneration that's leading to factionalism. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. This is people venerating leaders. And because they're doing that, creating factions of followers. Let me give you some examples. Uh, One of the ways I see people doing this today is what I call triangulating to find security. Triangulating means that you put two different poles out and then you draw a third pole, which means that you triangulate the three. And by drawing that third one, you're trying to position yourself in relationship to the other two. So, for example, you say, well, you know, John Calvin or Calvin on one side and Arminian on the other. And so you say, well, I'm I'm not really either one of these, but I'm going to triangulate myself a third place where I find myself justifying my identity between the two of these. Or maybe you say, well, John Piper and uh, Andy Stanley, two well-known American pastors who certainly wouldn't agree on many things. But you, you put those two people out there and you, you criticize one or the other and you triangulate trying to prove your identity is the best or your position is the soundest by contrasting yourself with these two people. Uh, we see it here in Southern California with two very well-known pastors, John MacArthur and Rick Warren, people claiming allegiance to one or the other and then triangulating off of these two to try to position themselves in some way to gain favor with people because of their either support or opposition to one of these men. The Bible uses the words Paul and Apollos, (laughs) triangulating off of those two guys to try to bring validation to who these biblical Christians were. People are doing the same thing today. Instead of saying, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I'm somewhere in between the two, it's Calvin, Arminian, Piper, Stanley, Warren, MacArthur, and on down the line I could go, giving you people like this that you could use to triangulate to find your identity. We categorize to establish our identity by asking this, who do you follow question, and why do you follow them, and what do you believe about them, and how do you agree with them, how do you disagree with them, how do you find them uh, helpful, how do you find them unhelpful, and somehow trying to, in the context of all of this triangulation, to establish identity. Then another way we do this is by using these identities to posture and try to promote our status. Well, I've read so-and-so's books. I've been to so-and-so's conferences. I've heard to, I've, I've been to, in so-and-so's uh, uh, home. I, I, I've experienced so-and-so in a very personal way, promoting or posturing to promote our status. Listen, Christian celebrity, first of all, Paul says, is a sign of real immaturity. And it leads to envy 
meaning you try to tear someone down to raise yourself up, or it leads to veneration and what I'm calling triangulation of using these people like Paul and Apollos and the names I've just mentioned to compare and contrast and in some way validate who we are by the factions we create surrounding the people that we identify as these Christian celebrities. Well, that's kind of the negative aspect of this, but maybe you're asking yourself this question. What about the example passages? For example, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul wrote, follow my example. And in Philippians 3.17, he wrote, join in following my example. So what's the difference between following the example of a leader and creating a celebrity Christian out of that same leader? How do you follow the example of a leader described in 1 Corinthians 11, Philippians 3, as I've just read? How do you follow the example of a leader in healthy ways? Well, let me give you some suggestions. The first thing I think about following an example of another leader in a healthy way is to observe the totality of a leader's life, not a facade or even a one-dimensional perspective, but instead thinking about the totality of what a person has represented. Most Christian leaders, if they've been leading very long in a very public way, have done some really, really good things. But most of them have also made some serious mistakes, had some personal tragedies, had some real setbacks. Following someone's example is not picking out their positives or clinging to their most radical distinctives and somehow validating yourself based on those or, worse yet, through envy, tearing those people down to make yourself look better. No. Following the example of a leader means that you follow the example of the totality of their life, meaning that you celebrate and own and learn from both their successes and their shortcomings, that you pay attention to the highs of their ministerial achievements, but you also pay attention perhaps to the lows, the difficulties of their personal struggles. I think about one prominent leader that's in my mind right now. He's written books that have changed the world. He's preached messages that have impacted perhaps millions. He's done so much for so many that's so good. (laughs) Same man has also made some colossal leadership mistakes. On at least two occasions I'm thinking of right now, I've just had to put my head down and shake my head no and think, what in the world was he thinking? This same man that I'm thinking of has also had a really, really serious personal tragedy that happened to him in a very public way, impacted his family in very significant ways. All these things I'm describing right now have all been played out on a very public stage. I think he would say to us, follow my example. 
which means follow my example of doing the very best you can and occasionally experiencing some high successes. Follow my example of doing the best I can and also making some serious mistakes and having to admit those, recover from them, and move on. And follow my example of staying faithful to the Lord in the midst of real personal tragedy and very deep pain. You know, I don't really think of myself as a Christian celebrity, but I do have some people who look to me for leadership. Some of you who do that are listening to this podcast today. And I would say, follow my example, just as Paul wrote those words. But I would not say, find my strengths only and venerate those. Nor would I say, find my successes and envy them and somehow try to tear me down to make yourself look better. No, I would say, follow my example, which means do the very best you can with the opportunities you've been given and enjoy the successes as they come along, but also admit your failures, own up to your mistakes, recognize your shortcomings, and then recognize that you're going to do life just as I have in the context of some personal challenges health crises, family difficulties, financial ups and downs, certainly ministerial challenges, setbacks, heartaches. So follow my example means that I'm willing to be known in public as a leader, and I'm willing to lead out in such a way that I'm going to have some level of notoriety. But follow my example doesn't mean venerate my successes envy what I've accomplished, or turn any of that into some kind of Christian celebrity to be celebrated. No, follow my example means observe the totality of my life and follow all of what you see, not just a little bit. And of course, this means learning particularly from both a leader's successes and shortcomings. You know, I have some real successes that I can look back on in a lifetime of ministry leadership. Uh, I look back on planting a church in Oregon as the first and perhaps most significant success of my work in ministry. I look at the leadership of the seminary, particularly the relocation and rebranding of our school a few years ago. But I also look at a lot of my shortcomings. My learning to communicate better with people and to have enhanced relational skills and to work through the difficulties of doing that poorly, especially in the early years of my ministry. Learning to lead boldly, yes, but learning also to care about details and people who are managing those details and the problems that have to be dealt with on a day-to-day basis. Confessing my insensitivity to the needs of people around me and my, uh, my propensity to be so task-driven that I just bowl over people to get stuff done. When I ask you to follow my example, I'm not asking you just to look at the successes and say, I want to be like that. I'm asking you to look at the totality of my life, including my shortcomings and the challenges that I've had to overcome and also follow those. So in this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
The Bible's really clear that when you demonstrate some kind of Christian celebrity as the focal point of how you relate to people that you respect or look up to or even admire, when you do this, you are really demonstrating immaturity. And that immaturity can lead to envy and strife. And that immaturity is seen most clearly, at least in this context, as claiming allegiance to certain leaders, blind allegiance, if you will, and turning them into some kind of Christian celebrity. Don't do that. Instead, follow the better example of what Paul wrote in two other locations in Scripture about following the example of someone in a healthy way who can inspire, uplift, encourage you in your leadership. Now, in order to help you do that, in the same passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul then writes some instructions about how best to perceive people that we do look up to, that we do respect, that do inspire us, that are our leaders, without turning them into Christian celebrities. Paul wrote, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? And then he wrote these instructions. They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. They are servants. They are channels of the gospel, the means by which you believed. And they are fulfilling the role the Lord has assigned them. This is the proper perspective to have on people in significant leadership roles. They are not Christian celebrities we celebrate. They are servants that are channels of the gospel that are fulfilling the role the Lord assigned them. While that role may have greater notoriety than the roles that we've been given, while they may get more accolade than maybe some others do, we're not going to fall into that trap. We're going to see them as servants, channels of the gospel, who are fulfilling the Lord's plan for their lives. And we recognize that no matter what they've done, it's God who has really made it possible. That's the next verse. Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul acknowledged that he had a part. I planted. He also was grateful that Apollos came along and watered. But then he writes that important phrase, but God gave the growth. And then he puts it in perspective in the next verse. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But only God, only God who gives the growth. Christian leaders are God's co-workers. They, they get the work done. That's a good thing. They plant they water. But when you put too much emphasis on what they have done, you fall into this trap of Christian celebrity, of celebrating someone for their magnificence, for their achievements, for their accomplishments. Then you're missing the rest of the verse. It's God who gave the growth. And then, even more strongly, 
neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God, but only God who gives the growth. Now, we value the planter and we value the waterer, but we really keep our focus on God as being the one who has accomplished whatever good has taken place through the lives of his leaders. Listen, this is such an important distinction. We celebrate the gift of God of effective Christian leaders. We're grateful that he's given them to us. We really are. But we want to never lose sight of this great reality that no matter who you perceive to be the most gifted, the most capable, the most influential, the most significant, the most celebrated Christian leader that you can imagine right now, whoever that is, the Bible says they're really not anything because it is God who has worked through them to accomplish what he wants done. Christian celebrity, as I said at the beginning, is an oxymoron. Those words just should not go together. Yes, God does raise up some Christian leaders to greater levels of uh, notoriety, uh, of acknowledgement, uh, of being well-known. We get that. And yes, there's nothing wrong with following the example, as Paul wrote, of these kind of leaders. But let's remember that following the example of someone in Christian leadership means embracing the totality of their relationship with God and their experience with Him, meaning that we follow them and we appreciate their successes, but we also follow them and learn from their mistakes, and we also follow them and learn how to minister in the context of the realities of life that they've faced and the difficulties that they've had to endure. We follow their example, not venerate their celebrity. And how can we really help to keep this perspective? By remembering that Christian leaders are servants, channels of the gospel, and people fulfilling the role that God has given them. You know, you might think of it in terms of a play. Christian leaders are, are not the stars. They're, they're, they're not the ones who wrote the play. They're just the ones who are acting out what God is directing be done. This is the perspective we must maintain on people in leadership. They're servants, channels of the gospel, people fulfilling a role, never forgetting that God is the creator, sustainer, and director of all that's happening on this great stage of life we're living. And then we recognize that while, yes, some leaders plant and some leaders water, we're grateful for that, but we never lose sight of the fact that it is God, it is God who is accomplishing the good that is being done. And we are grateful to our leaders 
for how God is using them. But we never lose sight of the fact that God is the one who's getting it done. I am grateful today for the Christian leaders who've impacted my life. And I am grateful for the prominent Christians that God has raised up in our culture. I want to learn from them. I want to follow them. I want to follow their example of the totality of their life. I do not want to envy them. I do not want to venerate them. I do not want to turn them into Christian celebrities. Instead, I want them to be leaders. God called, God used, God sustained. People who make a difference. I don't ever want to lose that perspective. So if today you find yourself with an improper relationship to some people in the Christian leadership uh, world, would you turn from that today? And would you help ask God to help you to have a better perspective on what it means to follow the example of Christian leaders without turning them into celebrities and having envy and the veneration that leads to factionalism be problems in your life. Let's set a good example of this. Let's teach others how to do it. Let's be models of what it means to learn from the example of others and to do it in a right and healthy way. Let's do it today as we lead on.